land being built up by this group of men all the way to the point where I can now look at my savior and, and let him help me with all the stuff that can't be physically helped right now. Hello and welcome to the One Heart Podcast, sponsored by One Heart, One Light. One Heart, One Light is an authentic, diverse community of men and women who have a background with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We choose to love and be loved unapologetically. At One Heart, One Light, we teach unique tools to apply Christ's atonement, and we are a bridge to becoming one with self, others, and God. As we like to say, One Heart, One Light exists to empower individuals to become one by reminding them of their wholeness. Come and be one with us. Today our guest is Jake Fairbanks. Jake is 23 years old, soon to be married, and excited for the future. Having been through years of heartache and healing himself, Jake strives daily to help those around him find peace, hope, and light in their lives. Jake hopes to someday be a high school counselor and always wants to be able to help others. Jake, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having Thank, me. Thank you. I'm glad to glad to have you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know, you know, we've had some conversations in the past, but wanted to get to know you a little bit better and wanted to have our our listeners hear a little bit more about your story because to me you you strike me as somebody who's um, who's definitely aware, self-aware of kind of the, the, the healing process, but, um, from my, um, I guess from my perspective, you're, you're quite young. And so I've, I've been pleased, impressed, surprised that, that somebody at your age is already thinking so deeply. So, um, I'd love to start out just by getting to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, um, maybe family church, and, um, and then we'll kind of, we'll go a little deeper from there. Sure. Yeah, sounds great. Um, okay, so my name is Jake Fairbanks, and I was born in Grand Junction, Colorado, born and raised. I lived there for, let's say, 17 years, because we did a little bit of moving around when I was first born, uh, hopped over to Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and down to Gilbert, Arizona, briefly, um, but grew up most of my life in Western Colorado, and I was born into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a faith I grew up in, had a lot of experience with. Um, spent most of my time in Colorado outdoors. I did a lot of stuff with friends, um, everything from playing ultimate Frisbee to, uh, midnight, uh, freeze tag on playgrounds to hiking, fishing, camping, all kinds of stuff like that. I got into ice skating for a little while, um, was really heavily involved in the community. I did community theater and I, uh, did a lot of fundraising events with the community through Relay for Life. Um, let's see. I went to high school and college. Well, I went to all of my school in Colorado, but I went to college in Grand Junction at Colorado Mesa University. I then, let's see, I moved to Utah just over two years ago and have been here ever since, just kind of building my own life here instead of relying on what I grew up with over there. And, um, I don't know. What else do you want to know? Yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, it sounds like you had kind of a, an ideal childhood. I mean, I, I hear a lot of outdoors and community involvement support. I'm curious, what was it or what, what could have been more than one thing, but what were some of the things that, that got you thinking deeply about your own, I call it wholeheartedness, um, just kind of 
um, a healing process, if you will, and just some of the deep thinking that you've done that I alluded to a minute ago. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I hadn't thought about that. I do, I do kind of paint it as a, a positive picture when I talk on the surface with people about my upbringing, just kind of skim the surface. This is what I grew up doing. This is what I love to do. Um, and I feel like a lot of people do that, but, uh, since I know you and I feel like I can connect with you, I also feel comfortable saying, you know, it definitely wasn't always easy. And although I spent a lot of time doing stuff that was fun, there were a lot of things that definitely weren't super great. Um, I mean, I'm 23 years old and in the time that I've been alive, basically everything that I just said are kind of like the highlights, but there's a lot of dips in that story too. So, sure. um, I mean, from a young age, there've always been struggles in family life. Um, I have three siblings. I have two older brothers and a younger sister. So in my mind, I was kind of like, I've got two older brothers and then there's me. So I get all the hand-me-downs from them. And then I got a little sister and she's like, you know, she, she's, she's the girl, right? So Mama's princess, sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In some ways. I mean, she had her own room and us three boys had to share a room. So that was always something that like kind of got at me, but I was just like, whatever, it's fine. I'll just argue with these guys until we decide to fall asleep growing up, that kind of thing. Um, but we had our fair share of struggles for sure. Um, and my parents did their best to try to kind of keep me out of it. But me being the kind of inquisitive person I am, I liked to listen when I wasn't supposed to and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. definitely knew a lot of what was going on regardless. Um, when I was nine or 10, somewhere around there, we tore the roof off our house and built a second story on it, which posed a new set of challenges entirely. Uh, we didn't contract any of it out, did it all by hand. So I went from spending a whole lot of time kind of trying to be out with people as a kid to, you know, now I have to be home and I grew up in a construction zone. I ended up getting tendonitis in my right shoulder from screwing in drywall for multiple hours a day. Um, and then hearing conversations about finances and um, like I said, hand-me-down clothes, that was something that it was fairly common and I didn't have a problem with it necessarily, but growing, growing up in that kind of environment, there were um, certain challenges that we faced that as a kid, you're just not aware of. And then you grow up and you're like, dang, that actually was not as good as I thought it was for sure. sure. When you, you mentioned, um, you know, when we've talked before, uh, some, well, one of the things you mentioned was, was how you learned about vulnerability. So I, would, I do want you to talk about that, but then okay. you also alluded to a, a traumatic year in high school that, that to me was kind of shocking just how much was going on that year. And, and I'm curious how that affected you. Sure. So everything that I just talked about kind of brings me right up through about eighth grade, maybe halfway through ninth grade. That was most of my life growing up that I just kind of went over. And then um, about, I had my 10th grade year was kind of, kind of smooth sailing. Didn't have a whole lot that went on that year. I don't think, like trying to think back, I, I really don't think there was a whole lot that happened that I can remember off the top of my head anyway. Um, but towards the end of my junior year and into my senior year, things just kind of flipped upside down in all the worst ways. Um, so when I was in high school, I was in a whole bunch of clubs. I did a whole lot of extracurricular activities and looking back, I realized it's cause I just didn't want to be home. So I just tried to be away as much as possible. Um, 
so I was in marching band. I was in a, what we call the academic team. It's kind of like a Jeopardy um, knowledgeable sure. team. And I was on the track team. I did wrestling my senior year, just a whole bunch of extra stuff to keep me busy. And in marching band, I was always in kind of the leadership side of things. So I would go to these leadership clinics and this is to answer your question about vulnerability. Um, Something that I I took away from my very first leadership clinic was one phrase from this clinician, Dr. Tim Lautzenheiser, Um, we just call him Dr. Tim. And he said, uh, one of the rules of leadership is seek to understand before being understood. And that hit me like a freight train because I realized for most of my life, I was in a position where um, I was just kind of behind the scenes. I would just go in between people. Um, I was kind of one of those kids that kind of fit in with everybody. So I ended up not fitting in with anybody. I was the band kid and then I was the track kid, but to the track kids, I was the band kid and to the band kids, I was the track kid and that kind of thing that continued through college. But, um, that's kind of where I I learned about vulnerability and being able to, um, really listen and listen intently, understand someone's story, understand what they're going through, because the more I can understand that person, the better it is for me to connect with them and vice versa. Um, and that played a really big role when in my senior year, my, the third day of my senior year, one of my friends jumped off a cliff and that kind of started a a wave or an epidemic, if you will, of suicides in the valley. And we had about a dozen of them that year. Um, So we had one the third day of school and then not even a month or just over a month later, a kid shot himself in the parking lot and it just became this incessant, um, dark cloud in my life and everybody's life. And my senior year, I was the drum major of the marching band. And for anybody that knows about marching band, you start at the very beginning of the school year, if not before. So I'd already had a connection with these individuals and everything falls apart and the school is devastated. The Valley's devastated. And now I'm expected to do something with that because I'm, I'm the leader, right? It's the band director and me, and then 120 people. Right. Um, so that was on uh, Friday that we found out that he had, um, they had committed suicide. And on Saturday, we had an early morning practice and everybody got there. And I had never been in an environment that's supposed to be so loud that was so quiet. And it's harrowing to, to hear 120 plus people that are supposed to be warming up and getting equipment ready and moving about. And it was just silent. Um, so I finally I pulled a few people to, to my car and we were able to just grieve for a bit. And then when the band director got there, I went into his office with leadership and I was just like, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> There's no way that we're right. going to be able to do anything today. And uh, I think we ended up doing like an hour or two of, of just some marking stuff and that was it. But that, that kind of shocking event and that went like I said, that we had a dozen of them. So that continued for a while. And I just had to be in a place of, of leadership and stability for everybody that whole year. I never really allowed myself to feel it and take it all in. That's what I was going to ask um, you. So you, it sounds like you were trying to, yeah, carry at least the band and, and maybe some others in school that weren't in the band. Yeah. Yeah. And he, 
the guy that uh, that committed suicide, he uh, was one of my friends from track, and that's how I knew him more than anything else. He was also in the uh, in orchestra, and he's a brilliant kid. Um, so I also was trying to you know, just texting back and forth with track kids, like, "Are you okay? How are you doing? Do you need anything?" Trying to be there for everybody that I could, um, not really recognizing that it hit me really hard too. Um, and every single time something happened and, um, the, the next month that kid that, um, took his life in the parking lot, um, I was right outside. Like I was there for that. And that, that's a traumatic experience that I never, never really processed. It just kind of, I didn't know him super well. I threw a baseball to him once. That's about it. But uh, a lot of my friends are really close to him. So just now that I, now that I'm out of it, looking back and reflecting and recognizing that I was always the person that was there for people, um, and I never knew how to ask for help, and that trend continued when the day I graduated high school, my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, um, and my dad was working out of town, my brother was working out of town, one of my other brothers was off serving a mission for the church, so it was just me and my mom and my sister going through this whole thing for six months or so. Um, and that was right after my senior year. I had just been accepted at um, eight colleges in Colorado with a bunch of different grants and scholarships and ended up taking a scholarship at Colorado Mesa University because then I could stay home um, and help out. I worked four jobs that summer, just tried to make sure mom wasn't worrying about me. Um, but also because I, I didn't want to be home. It just was that same trend. I didn't want to be there. So I was out. I would go work two or three jobs a day and then go find a friend to try to do something with to keep myself occupied, distracted, busy. Um, so I was going to ask, it sounds like, yeah, you you didn't maybe know how to do anything about it. So let's no. just go ignore and, and see if we can numb it with, with some something. Yeah, exactly. And that's this what I had done up to my whole, my whole life. So growing up with, in this construction zone and with kind of some hard finances and, um, in the church, we're always taught to serve people. So my whole family were always so, so good at helping people, but we didn't receive a whole lot of that back. And, um, so that's just, I just kept doing what I knew how to do, what I, what I saw my parents do and my grandparents do, which is give and give and give and spend as much time as you can with other people. Um, not recognizing that there's something there that I needed and I didn't know what to do about it by any means. When, when did you like, start to realize that, wow, I need, I need something for myself. I need to, to heal. Uh, probably when I made the decision to move, um, I moved to Utah in December of 2019. And just before that, I had just, kind of been going through the motions. I graduated college in December of 2018, had a handful of jobs for the next year, uh, just trying things out, trying to figure out what I wanted, what I didn't want. Um, and then also kind of, I don't know if testing is the right word, but it's just kind of seeing where my friendships truly, um, where, where they truly lied sure. or lay. I don't know. <laughs> um, just seeing how my friendship, how my friends all worked together with me. And hey, I found myself one night, this is kind of what kicked it for me. I recognized, I realized that anytime I went to a 
particular friend's house, I felt like I always had to bring something, whether it was a snack or game or like, I felt like I always had to bring something because my presence alone wasn't worth it. Like I wasn't worth enough just by myself to be there. So I had to have something else. So it wasn't something that friend said. It was something you just believed. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I, it wasn't anything. um, It wasn't anything they did by any means. It's just kind of the nature of me. I'm I'm a very giving person. One of my love languages is giving gifts. Um, And now I'm, I, I moved. I'm kind of, now I'm kind of piecing out if that's actually something I enjoy or if it's just uh, like an expected thing. I'm expected to give so much, so I do it. And because it's been trained with me for so long, it does feel good. So, and that's what I was going to ask, I guess, is, is it something that you, you believe that you need to do or, yeah, or is it something that you enjoy doing? And maybe that's what you're trying to figure out still. Yeah, that's, you pretty much hit it on the head and there right now I'm kind of in a, like, it's a situational thing. There are certain people that, um, you know, if a friend asks me to help them move, I'm, I'm going to jump on that in a heartbeat because I know them. I love them and I'm going to do whatever I can for them. That's me giving service and time and energy effort. Um, but if (laughs) this is bad, if someone in elders quorum hits me up and like, Hey, we have a new person moving into the ward on Saturday. Are you free? Like, sorry, I have, plans and those plans are i'm gonna sleep in but i'm not gonna tell you that you know so definitely figure out my boundary there yeah well and and i know in my own life and part of it's cultural part of it's just maybe expectation but i know a lot of times i've shown up i i I think it's just from a, a from a place of wanting to feel important wanting to to have some validation yeah and um not that it's 100% 100% bad, but if that's all I can ever do is is show up so that I can be validated by somebody else, to me, that's not giving anyway. It's really a, a take. I'm here so that you can say nice things about me so I can feel good about myself. Right, right. So I guess to answer your question of when I kind of felt need to shift uh, my mindset was probably right before I moved and I ended up having this opportunity at the beginning of December and it was like within the course of a week that I, I saw my friend post that they had an opening in, for an apartment in Utah. I didn't have a job lined up or anything. I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I thought about it, prayed about it, and it just it felt right. So I moved here to Utah in December, got a job a few days later working for a solar company. And then I, I kind of went to church. I found a few people here and there, but it definitely didn't feel the same as the group that I had in Colorado um, or the church that I had in Colorado. It felt very different. And then everything shut down and ended up having nobody really, aside from a couple of roommates that I didn't super like. So um, then I was really forced to take a look at what I actually needed, what I actually wanted and where I really wanted to go. Um, and for about a year, I was just kind of in that spot of um, insecurity and uncertainty. Just don't know exactly where I'm going, what I'm doing, sure. what I need. But it was a great time to figure it out because I didn't have anything else to do. I was going to ask, I, you said everything was shutting down. And I'm sure, you know, obviously during COVID, stores, restaurants, schools, churches. Yep. How, how was that as a, you know, single young man coming to a new town? Was there anybody that you could connect with or? 
I had that like? maybe three people from work and I'd say at most half a dozen from church, but even those were just like, they'd invite me over when one of them had a birthday party or, you know, I'd go to ward events, that kind of thing. But it wasn't like, Hey, I'm going hiking on Saturday. Do you want to come? Or we're going to have a bonfire or um, I'm going to go ice fishing, you know, stuff that I've, I've talked about at that point and told people I really enjoy. Um, I'm an outdoorsman. I love shooting. I love hunting. I did professional competition shooting for, um, well, I only actually, competed in one match but I trained it for a little bit um and there just wasn't anybody that seemed to be as interested in those kinds of things as me that would actually invite and it wasn't through lack of effort on my part either because I, I did extend some of those invitations and um you know, got blown off a couple times and just kind of stopped putting out the effort because it didn't feel genuine so sure. here I am trying to be the vulnerable one. Like we've talked about just letting everybody know this is where I came from. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Um, here are my complaints with the church even and trying to be authentic and just not having that reciprocated. I'm curious how you're saying not reciprocated, but for me, and especially before I became a little more conscious of, of the value of vulnerability, a, I didn't have any. B, I didn't dare go there. And if anybody ever started sharing, it made me very uncomfortable. So I'm curious, what was the reception overall? If you started, to, you know, to share something that, hey, this is about me. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to back up just a little bit to my senior year. Something that I did do um, once I realized how big of an issue it was that we were having these young individuals that didn't feel like their white, their life was worth anything. Right. Um, I, I set out and I created a whole bunch of group chats. I actually created, I created a group with all of the student body, um, like elected officials, the student body president Officers or a senior. And, yeah. yeah. All the, with all of the high schools and five high schools in the Valley, wow. I found all of them and I was working to create this big event so that we could raise money for suicide prevention. I got into suicide research a whole lot. Um, and I found myself really listening to people's stories and how vulnerable they were. And that's kind of what helped me get into the mindset of being more vulnerable, especially around that topic of mental health and, uh, suicide prevention, that kind of thing. And recognizing that it's okay for me to be vulnerable about that too. So when I came to Utah and people ask my story and I say, well, my senior year, like I've just told you my senior year, we had, um, uh, the suicide epidemic. And then my mom got diagnosed with cancer and then I had to work four jobs and it was just this one thing after another. And pretty much all I got back was, I'm really sorry. And they would just say that. And then like, there's too much. So, sure. yeah. So what, what started to shift for you? I, I know it was, I guess sometime maybe in that year or maybe toward the end of that year that we first talked and and when you said something about vulnerability, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy, you know, how does he even know that word? I didn't know that word until I was <laughs> a lot older. Um, what, what was it that started to shift? Um, opportunity. I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, my uncle reached out to me with an opportunity to come to this men's night. And I was like, well, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nobody else to talk to about anything. So I hopped on a Zoom call and we kind of did a, a little check-in just to see how we're feeling. And I was able to say um, without 
anybody looking at me sideways that work sucks and I'm really lonely and I'm super stressed and I'm angry at everything. And all I got back was, I hear you. And I was blown away because instead of having people that just, it goes in one ear and out the other, and they don't care a whole lot about anything that you just said. Um, I got an immediate response of connection and love. And that was nothing like, that was nothing that I had ever had before. Um, at least in a group setting, I might've had that every once in a while on one-on-one setting, but not from this whole group of 15 guys that I'd never even met before. And here they are saying, that's all right. We accept you how you are. And then hearing these other 15 guys bear their soul (laughs) and be open and honest with me as well. And now I've grown a, a pretty strong relationship with all of them. Right. So, so what that was that kind of the, the catalyst that said, Hey, I think I want to, I, I want to hang out with these guys. I think there's something that they can teach me yeah. and, and support me in, yeah. in becoming a better person. I would say so. I had a couple of people at work that I felt like I could talk to about uh, my story and we actually were able to really connect with each other, but it, it was just very different because um, they're coworkers. So you don't always get to talk about the, the deeper stuff or the why behind the what, um, and not all of them were members of the same church. So when I moved to Utah and recognized that all of these uh, church members weren't giving me what I thought I wanted, I kind of stopped going. And I would go every once in a while just to see if anything had changed or go through the motions. Um, and then when uh, the pandemic happened, everything shut down. I was just like, well, I'm not, I'm just going to go back eventually. Sure. And during that time, I recognized that I was only going for the personal interaction um, with a few people that I was close to. I was going for interaction and I was going for the music because I, I, that's one of the ways that I've always felt the spirit strongly is through music. It wasn't necessarily for the gospel as a whole. Right. So I was able to change my mindset with partly with this group that I found um, to recognize that my emotions can be portrayed as the spirit talking to me and that everything I'm going through, it it may, you know, some people say everything happens for a reason. And I've always kind of believed that to an extent, but it changed the definition for me instead of everything happens for a reason, because there's an end goal that's better. It's now everything happens for a reason because I can grow better. And that's the end goal is for me to get better. So so in other words, the the traumas, the difficult things you go through, you can learn from them and and become a better person. Is that kind of what you're getting yeah, at? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I had no idea uh, until I, I found this group and um, the the methods that they use. I've never, <laughs> this is probably a little bit telling that I've, I've never been to a therapist. I've been to a counselor uh, aside from school counselors, which I definitely see a place for, but I always more, I just kind of judge them as being the ones that set my schedule. And that was it. They're just right. like, they're just there. Um, probably should have, and that probably would have helped, but I never did. I was just, I was always someone that just, you know, be a man, knuckle down, plow do it yourself, sure. plow ahead. Yeah. Just get it done and you'll be fine. Um, and then coming to this men's group where a lot of them have gone through some kind of therapy or another and finding out that we're still on the same plane. And it doesn't really matter who you are. You can have, there are people in this group that have way more trauma than I do and have worked through so much of it that they're, they're able to teach now 
and I've only been involved with this group for what a year and a half or so and have gone from someone that was stressed all the time, angry at the world, uh, stressed at my job, didn't have any kind of connection, didn't know what was going on. Um, had a lot of those what's the point moments or why are bad things happening to me and now recognizing the purpose behind all of that so uh it it has helped me grow immensely right what's been one of the biggest ahas for you um in your journey that's a tough one because there's been a lot um one of the biggest ones for me is probably, I'd have to say the opportunity that I had to develop a personal relationship with my savior, uh, with Christ and recognizing that everything that I've gone through, anything that I'm still harboring or holding onto has a pathway out. It doesn't have to stay inside me forever. It doesn't have to fester. It doesn't have to keep me down or, or weigh down on my, on my spirit, my head, my body, anything. Um, and I definitely feel lighter now that I know that I have this person that's been my champion the whole time. And he's just waiting for me to say, I need a hand here and actually allow someone to help me. I've never really been able to allow someone to help me. Even I've had, I had a, a bunch of injuries in my life from marching band track and field. I still have a bunch I'm working through, but even those I was a little stubborn and I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to be weak about it. So I would go to physical therapy, but I was like, yeah, it's not really helping. So I'm just going to power through it. And now regretting that because everything hurts all the time. So. <laughs> so talk to me just a little bit about building that relationship with Christ. I mean, you, you said you grew up in the church, you, you, you've had exposure or whatever. Um, but this sounds like it's something different. It's something you didn't learn about in primary or young men's you, but you were able to, I guess, approach Christ in a way that, that really started to resonate. Yeah, definitely different. I've had, I've had a handful of really powerful spiritual experiences in my life. That's very true. And I can't say that I'd ever discount those. Um, But it's different when it's an event put on by the church that um, I don't know how I want to phrase this. Um, for example, we would go on a, yeah, one example was when I went on a trek, which is kind of a, a modern reenactment of what the pioneers did when they came over the plains. Um, that was a really p- spiritual experience. And I think it's mostly just because uh, we're out in nature and kind of exposed and we have to rely on each other and there's not there's no opportunity for anybody to do anything other than that so uh but but in the back of my mind i know all these people are just here because they grew up in the church and this is what their parents told them to do and and the difference is um or what kind of helped me establish a i would say a more real connection with the savior is i went to a retreat, a mentor retreat that was put on by the One Heart, One Light organization. And I really didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know what any of these people's backgrounds were. I knew some of them had a background with the church, but I didn't know if everybody did. 
I didn't know who was still active. Um, I just knew that these are good people and they want what's best for me. Um, and there's no, there's no facade because I've already seen who they are. Hmm. Um, whereas within the church, especially with the youth, everybody's kind of put on a face of who they think their parents want them to be, who they think their sibling wants them to be, or who they think they need to be or want to be. Um, it's really hard to get a genuine connection growing up inside of that organization. At least that was my experience. Sure. And then I went to this retreat and there were, there weren't any kind of limitations to, I don't know if boundaries is the right word either. Limitations, boundaries, it's kind of in the right area, but it didn't seem like there was as much keeping me from finding a connection on my own. I wasn't relying on my parents' testimony or the other young men's testimony or the stake president's testimony like I did for so many of these other, other events where I was surrounded by everybody else that had a really strong testimony. Um, so I just felt the spirit because of everybody, this was just me trying to figure out what I believed. And the, the way that it was taught at this retreat helped me recognize the spirit being really present in my life. And uh, I'm a very visual person. And we had a couple of visualizations that just kind of really brought me, I don't know if harmony is the right word either, but just brought me close with the savior. And I can actually feel uh, when I was able to let go of something, I could feel that that was actually being taken from me. So I'm not feeling, um, you asked what the, one of the strongest experiences I had was, mm -hmm. and there was, um, one of the strongest, and I've seen it time and time again with other people is kind of a question of, am I worthy? And recognizing there's, there's a lot of, uh, doubt in my mind about I'm not good enough. Sure. I'm not worthy. I'm not strong enough. Um, and just being able to recognize where those came from, from a traumatic event. And that that's been prevalent my entire life over and over and over and over again, where I've just had to cover that layer up with so many other things. So I don't feel that, right. that really, really strong foundation of I'm not good enough and being able to chip through all those little layers and get to the foundation and then say, here's this big brick of me not feeling good enough my entire life and giving it to someone and having that absorbed into pure white light. And it's just gone forever. When you say someone you're talking about Christ and, and yes. light, it, yeah. it, more of a, an intention that, that I'm going to give you this, this burden Christ. And, and then you experience him taking it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And I've coming from someone that's never really allowed other people to help before with anything. Um, my parents have barely ever, they, they, my parents have never even bought me a full tank of gas. Like that's never something <laughs> that I have experienced. Um, I went home for Christmas and my mom, uh, this is the first time in my life that I know of that I was about to head out. She followed me to the gas station and put her credit card into the machine before I could. So like, she was just like, I'm filling up your car. So I let her, but um, before then I probably, I can't think of a time when that happened. So for someone that's never let people help them now being broken down to this miserable piece of junk that didn't know what to do with himself, kind of being forced to let people help me and being built up by this group of men all the way to the point where I can 
now look at my savior and and let him help me with all the stuff that can't be physically helped right now that's awesome so it's you said it's been what a year or more or so um since then how how are you feeling now and and what's what's your relationship with christ like today it's i don't even know how i could describe it orders of magnitude higher um that i'm a much happier person i have an incredible girlfriend that we can work on stuff together now um i'm able to take all the things that i've learned through my life and i can keep all of the experience that i've that i've gained but I don't have to keep all of the emotion or all of the negative attachment to those experiences. Um, so I can look back at my senior year and the, um, the kind of traumatic experience that that was all of it and keep the experience and understand what happened, but I don't have to feel like there was more that I could have done. I don't have to be hard on myself for it. I don't have to be angry at myself for anything. Um, and that goes for, anything in my life so now uh, i can now if it's something as simple as i get cut off on the road and i'm really angry about it but then i'm like well actually i don't need to be angry about that so um just having more knowledge and um less pent-up aggravation has it's just skyrocketed my life in a completely different direction that's awesome so let's let's end with this question, and that is, if you could give people, everyone, um, one piece of advice to on their journey to wholeheartedness, to being of one heart, as we say, what would you say? There are two quotes that I, I find myself living by more and more. And the first is one I've already said, which is seek to understand before being understood. And the second is, uh, it's a paraphrased version of a scripture that we find in the, in the New Testament in Romans. And it says, rejoice in your hard times, for we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Um, that's something that I actually got from my old band director. He had that in slides. I didn't know where it came from until after I graduated, because he didn't want to give us a scriptural reference, of course. Um, but I've talked to him about that. And that second scripture, rejoice in your hard times. I've heard that over and over and over again, my whole life that, you know, find joy in the journey. Um, uh, and I, I've always been an optimist anyway, so it's never been super hard for me, but rejoice in your hard times. And then the second part, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. Um, and right now I've gone, I feel like I've gone through everything to the point where now I've, I've built so much character and now I have all the hope um, and hope can be also tied in with faith. Those are pretty much the same thing in, in my line of thinking anyway. So I feel like I've gone through all a lot of hard times and suffering and have persevered through it to get to where I am or where I was and have built that character. And now I have hope for so much more um, more light, more love, more wholeheartedness, uh, like you have just talked about and, um, more capacity that I can, I can teach and I can love and I can feel and not 
not be filled with as much of the kind of negative emotions that have filled my life for so long of despair, depression, sadness, anger, anxiety, and at some points just being void of all emotion and putting on a facade of joy because that's what I think everybody wants me to be. Sure. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, that, that hopeful message, you know, that there is hope that, that, um, you know, certainly bad things happen, but, uh, as you've described a few minutes ago, you know, you can change that perspective. You can hand off those, those burdens and beliefs to, to Christ, the ones that don't serve you and, and grow from there. So thanks again yeah. for, for being here and talking with me to, uh, today. And, um, we'll, we'll talk again later. Take care. Yeah, It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. See Thank you later. You. Thanks again for listening to the One Heart Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and check us out online at oneheartonelight.org.